Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy to making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their repetitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10. I've switched my insurance to the FTA and think you will too after you check them out. This episode is also brought to you by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. The best resource for any firearm instructor and their students It's also free. Available for both Apple and Android devices. Search your app store for Concealed Carry Gun Tools today and download this free app. Find maps, gun businesses near you. Legal summaries, articles, videos, training logs, and this podcast. Don't miss a beat on the industry. Download the app today. Today, we'll be discussing changes instructors should know about in the industry with Larry Vickers. Larry is a retired U.S. combat veteran with years of experience in the firearm industry as a combat marksmanship instructor and industry consultant. Larry's background is one of the most unique in the industry today, having spent over 20 years in the U.S. Army and the entire time in the special operations. The last 15 years of which were in the 1st Special Operation Force, a Delta Force detachment. He was directly involved in the design and development of the Heckler & Koch HK-45 and HK-45C handguns and the Heckler & Koch HK-416 assault rifle. Additionally, Glock has manufactured versions of their 17, 19, 43, most recently their 45 that are built to his specifications. Beyond firearms development, Larry Vickers has developed numerous small arms accessories, the most notable of which are his signature sling, which is issued with the M27 and authorized to be used with M4, M4A, and M16 series weapons. Larry Vickers is the founder of Vickers Tactical and travels the world conducting combat marksmanship classes for law-abiding civilians, law enforcement, and military personnel. In recent years, he has hosted tactical firearms-related TV and streaming video shows, including TAC TV and Vickers Tactical on the YouTube channel. Welcome, Larry. How are things going for you today? Good. Uh, very good. One slight little tweak on the bio there. I want to correct everybody. Uh, the Glock 45 was made without my input. Ah. I like it. I like the pistol quite a bit, but... As far as Vickers tactical versions from Lipsy's, we have G19s, G17s, and now upcoming is a G43, and no G45s yet. Not saying there won't be one down the road, but right now, no G45s. Uh, okay, I'd, I'd seen there. There's uh, I saw one that was a LAV uh, G45. Thought you had input on that. I Thanks wish. for the correction on that. It's a good gun. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of the Gen 5 blocks overall. I think they're good guns. I've I've got a couple and. I, I like them. Um, they don't necessarily uh, fix all the problems uh, you know, as far as a shooter goes, but if you can shoot well, they make you shoot better. Yep. Well, Larry, we're going to talk today about changes in the industry that instructors should know about for their students. Um, you know, part of this podcast is to keep our students or keep our instructors informed so they can do the best they can for their students. What are some of the most important things instructors should really know about do his research and be ready for students showing up in his class with number one, the number it's number one, and this is human nature. Um, and it actually takes a student a while to kind of program themselves to do it correctly is 
humans do not treat guns as if they're loaded all the time. So what humans do, they treat guns as if they're loaded as long as they've convinced themselves they're loaded. As soon as they think the gun is empty, to them, at that point, the thing is, it, it might as well be a toy. And they'll point it at anybody, anything. They'll be incredibly unsafe with it. And, and, and when you say something, you go, oh, well, it's empty. You got to understand, that is the norm. The norm is people, they only treat guns as if they're loaded when they assume, right or wrong, and whether right or wrong, whether the gun's loaded or not. That's when they treat it as if it's loaded. All the rest of the time, they treat it as if it's empty. And, and you need to understand something. They have to reprogram the way they think in order to overcome that. That's rule number one that all instructors need to be aware of. Don't assume a student is going to show up, a new student is going to show up and treat guns as if they're loaded at all times. The reality is the opposite. Yeah, the, the, it's really unfortunate. If you watch the news, there are civilians that, get in, that end up getting shot during classes. There are police officers that get shot during classes. There are even military that get shot during training. And the whole point is, your point is right, is right there, is you've got to have the right mindset that you treat it always as if it's loaded. Even if you assume or you know that it's unloaded, you've, you've always keep that muzzle in a safe direction, finger off the trigger, all the safety rules that we've, we're constantly trying to drill into our students. Yeah, absolutely. And it only takes one second where they're, they kind of have a brain fade, a little slip up, and now somebody's bleeding and we're having to call 911. So that's the number one thing that I would always stress. I, I stress that to my students in my classes. I stress that to instructors is just understand people are not going to treat the gun as if it's loaded at all time. What they're going to do, they're only going to treat it as if it's loaded when they think it's loaded. All the rest of the time, they're going to treat it as if it's a, a toy. So be yeah. aware of that. Yeah, as I've gone along and told people, you can be 99.99% safe, but it's at 0.001 that you're going to end up going to the hospital. Somebody's going to you know, get seriously injured, those types of things. There's no way of putting that bullet back in the barrel once you pull the trigger. Yep, that's right. Definitely. Well, what else do you see going on in the industry that instruct, instructors need to be aware of for these students coming to their classes? Well, first off, striker-fired pistols dominate now. Um, you know, your Glock obviously is the world leader in that realm, but you've got a bunch of other guns that are, that are in the mix now too. SIG P320, I'm seeing a lot more of those since the U.S. military adopted it. That is becoming a very common pistol in my classes. I see quite a few HK VP9s. Mm -hmm. That's very common. Uh, M&Ps, still see M&Ps. Occasionally see a Springfield XD. The, the Glock dominates, and I'm sure it always will, but the point here being is, the polymer frame striker fired handgun is the norm and will continue to be the norm in moving forward. So all instructors need to be savvy on how to use those guns. That being said, somebody shows up with a double action, single action pistol like a SIG or a 1911, they need to have, know how to run that. But bottom line is, if you're going to be a handgun instructor in this day and age, uh, it really anywhere in the world, but especially in the United States, you got to be savvy on these polymer frame striker fired handguns because they are the norm. Mm -hmm. And they're they, a little different than the 1911s. I mean, they're all semi-automatics, but 1911s got an external safety. Um, you know, it has seven yep. round magazines. Now you go along and I think the FN 509 has a 20 round uh, magazine to it. Uh, so the drills and how you do the drills, where you keeping them at six rounds, you may have to you know change it up. At the same time, you can't have a drill that takes 
18 rounds and, and somebody's there with an with a you know sig uh, or the p365 that only holds 10 rounds all of a yeah. sudden you're going to have a whole lot of magazine changes if you're not considering that for your students yeah you got it right and a student when a student shows up they may show up with a 1911 or the p365 with a couple spare mags and they think they're good to go now you've got your drill structured around block 19s and 17s and whatnot and you guys had guys endless magazine changes also having to top off their magazines non-stop you need to be aware of that if you see students coming with that may need to structure the drill differently and maybe particularly for them, or you got to give the students a heads up. Hey, you're going to have to have X number of spare mags. One, one thing I find very interesting and I, and I agree with you, everything I see, uh, most of the students are bringing new guns or striker fire, but you still see the 1911s. You still see those uh, SADA kind of uh, pistols. We also see some people coming in with uh, double action revolvers because that's what they have, or that's what they think they need in the somebody at the yeah. gun store uh, for right. it. And that's one of those things that instructors, even if you don't carry a revolver, guess what? You've got to learn how to work at a revolver because if your student comes to you with a revolver, they don't want to be told that they've got the wrong gun. They want to be taught how to use that gun effectively. Well, and understand, see, that it wasn't that long ago where you had a lot of people pointing new shooters or people who wanted a small handgun in the direction of a small revolver like a J-frame because small auto-loading pistols really were not that reliable or they were in calibers other than 9mm parabellum. So it's like, hey, if you want to have you know, a small handgun and it's in a, in a, a caliber that you would deem to be adequate, you're going to need to go with the small revolver. Where those days have changed now, you got the Glock 43, you got the M&P Shield, you got these these smaller handguns, but there's still some of that mentality out there. So you can still have people showing up with a J frame and you need to be able to show them how to run that gun. I was listening to a podcast uh, just this week and was surprised to hear that uh, New York city police department just went along and uh, stopped uh, authorizing revolvers for their officers to carry uh, off duty. And it was like, wow, that there's still a police department to go out there and have revolvers. So that just, reinforces the point that some people are going to come with uh, different equipment and that doesn't make it wrong or right. It just means that, Hey, us as instructors have got to go along and have the skill sets to be able to make that student the best as possible. Yep. Have you seen many people come to your uh, classes with uh, red dot sites on their. Uh yeah. Generally every class I'll have one or two people with a red dot site. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've got one of the new acros they gave Aimpoint gave me one at SHOT Show. I brought it home. I've got it on a gun. I think that that optic has serious potential. Obviously, it's an Aimpoint, so ruggedness and reliability is expected. From what they have told me, they've tested that thing above and beyond. Using it, I like it. I would, I would anticipate the amount of people showing up with red dot-sided pistols with the Acro is going to increase. I think now you've got the number one player in the red dot game has a pistol, you know, red dot out now. I, I can only anticipate that that's going to increase. So instead of having a class where I've got one or two, I think as the acro gains acceptance and popularity and, and it's much more readily available, you're going to see that grow. So, yeah, I, I see it and I am expected to go up with the introduction with the introduction of the acro. Yeah. And I think one thing instructors really need to understand about, uh, 
the holographic sites are it's not you take it and screw it on your gun you pick it up and all of a sudden you're you know some wonderful marksman it takes a little bit of uh oh, yeah. adjustment to make sure the sites line up where you where you think they are a natural point of aim it feels a little bit different because you don't just see those those uh posts pop up all of a sudden and you say wow i'm on on site it's kind of going from your normal uh sites to a combat or or the um silencer type of uh, uh tall sites to where it's like wait a minute it's a little bit taller than what i'm expecting and they don't line up the same and you do have to get a new feel for how that gun's going to shoot and when you bring the gun up you know everybody's used to seeing a little bit of shake a little bit of wobble in their iron sight picture now that's enhanced and magnified with the red dots you can have somebody who's actually a fairly decent shooter now has issues snatching or jerking the trigger when you put a red dot on there so you're gonna have to revisit that wobble and get people to understand, to learn to ignore the wobble zones. That little uh, boogaboo gets stirred back up again when you get a red dot sight on your pistol. Yeah, no matter what you change as far as uh, pistols and, and uh, you know holographic sights, those types of things, red dots, uh, you still have the basic mechanics of being able to mm -hmm. take and press that trigger back and keep the sights on target. If you can do that, you can use any aiming system, but obviously you've got to get the basics down, down first overall. Yep. With it. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing more and more uh, red dots, holographic sites. One thing I, I go along and try to educate my students on is understanding limitations for them. If that battery goes out, you better have some, something back up. If you're in a dusty environment and dirt gets over that uh, LED emitter to where it's not showing a red dot on, on the uh, screen, you better be able to use the backup sites. So, That's I mean, that's the plus of the acro because it's fully enclosed. Yep. You don't, you, there's no way for any de dirt, debris, water, mud, sand to get on the emitter. So even if you bring it out of water or whatnot, we recently did a video. I'm going to be putting up on my YouTube channel here real soon. Shows me bringing it out of a muddy bucket of water and you can still use it because of exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if the acro uh, going that way, I'm sure we'll see other people come with different designs and, just like we've had other designs uh, in the firearm industry, there'll be a multitude of those. And that's where instructors need to be very, very familiar with how they work and some of the pros and cons uh, with, with all those. Yep. Uh, what kind of calibers are you seeing in your classes these days? Are you seeing a wide variety or I'm seeing mainly nine millimeter? Nine millimeter dominates. I mean, I, it's not uncommon to have classes where every single person shooting a nine millimeter, even people showing up with nine millimeter 1911s, which would, I would have, shocks me you know being an old 1911 guy if you would told me 20 years ago that when i see a 1911 in class now it's just as you know there's a decent chance there'll be nine mil i'd have thought you're on you were crazy but you know nine mil dominates we live in a nine mil world it's like i told people i put it out on my social media you know then the caliber wars are over in nine millimeter one and it caused a lot of people to get their panties in a bunch but it's the truth um nine mil dominates absolutely yeah, I've, I've had a few people come through with 45, with uh, 38 Special and 380, but I'd have to say we're it's well over 90% of the people showing up for classes are all doing a 9mm. And I think that's partly the the availability of the guns, and I think it's also the cost. You look at a 9mm Parabellum compared to a 45 ACP, there's a difference. And even comparing to the 380, and you go along, wait a minute, they're almost the same size. Yeah, but guess what? There's not the volume manufacturing, so they're going along getting the premium for that 380 ammo. And if you're going to be shooting a lot, 
you're going to you're going to be going along probably gravitating toward that more economical of uh you know nine millimeter it's just like the 38 special when revolvers were king you know you might have a revolver to 357 but you always practice 38 special because it was so much more affordable you know we've got we've got bills to pay always well yeah and not there are tons of guns in nine mil nine millimeter guns are easier to shoot they hold a lot of bullets um and like you said, practice ammo, very inexpensive, relatively speaking. Also, you take a new shooter. Now, there's no sense for them to fight the recoil 40 or 45. I mean, we live in a 9 mil world. That's not going to change. I mean, 40's dead. I mean, it's, it's toast. You have um, gun shops can't even give the ammo or the guns away. And honestly, 45 will never go away, but it's definitely – we have seen our heyday of people using 45 ACP. I mean, it's it, it, the the, day, the heyday of that particular caliber is over. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree, agree with it, and with uh, where bullet technology has gone, if nobody's followed what uh, Federal and Hornaday and all those big manufacturers have done with their nine millimeter bullets, uh, they perform exceptionally well with uh, yeah. today's loads and everything else like that. No longer, you know, is the forty five you have to have in order to stop somebody. It's a nine millimeter. Uh, you know, Hornaday critical duty, something like that will do a very good job when you look at what it does in ballistic gelatin, things like that. Good. Performance. Yeah, it's absolutely. So you're right. I see the same thing and it ain't going to change. Mm-hmm. What other things are you seeing in your classes that instructors should be aware of up, up and coming trends? Definitely concealed carry. Um, concealed carry and def- defensive handgun use dominates. So they need to be thinking about, you know, and that's why all my teachings and all my training all come from that point of view. You get somebody shows up and they shoot IPSC or IDP or whatever, that's cool. But that is a small segment of the society and, and the guns oriented in that direction are a small segment. So I would tell shooters always be, or instructors always be thinking about, Hey, I'm going to have a guy walking through the door and he's going to be thinking first and foremost self-defense, whether it's a home defense handgun or a gun that he's going to be carrying concealed, that that dominates. When we live in a world of concealed carry. That is by far the largest segment of the market. So they need to be thinking from that point of view. Well, most definitely. And even I've seen in my classes where we've got a state required class to get your concealed carry license. And there's a set curriculum that we have to meet in order for them to receive their license. But after that, they've got to have, we've got to make sure we're instilling a defensive mindset into our students. So they understand that it's not as simple as just going along, punching a few holes in a piece of paper. They need to know how, you know, shoot and move, how to go along and holster and and unholster, uh, you know, when, when it comes to the middle. And most importantly, as I go along, point out to people all the time is what are you going to tell the police? law enforcement when they show up because if anything goes on with a gun you know you you shoot it you display it something like that expect the cops to be there and you better have a really good explanation on why you're there why you've got your gun out all those types of things and you know realize the law enforcement's just doing their job so you know keep that no matter what they tell you to do comply and and get through it from that point well i'm a fan i'm i'm hooked up with the guys not only with fta but ccw safe uh, and it dials in exactly what you're talking about. They, they've they got your back in terms of the information you need, what you need to tell the, the you know law enforcement officers in a self-defense shooting. So if you're not a member of CCW Safe, I highly recommend you check it out. 
like I said, good guys. I've been affiliated with them for a number of years. And I agree with you, you know, putting bullets on target is just part of the equation. The other part of the equation is what happens after the fact. And you've got to be prepared for that because that can turn your life upside down six ways to Sunday. Yeah, I, I say 1% is bullet on target because it is a very, it's, it's a couple seconds. Tom Gibbons says, you know, three rounds, uh, three feet, three seconds. And those, it's 99% mental and be able to make the decisions. And in some cases, just get the hell out of there. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing from a uh, concealed carrier that needs to say, I got to stand and fight. If I can, if I can run away and live for another day, guess what? That's a guarantee. If I stand and fight, there ain't no guarantee that I'm, I would be able to see another day or my family's not going to be visiting me in the hospital later on that day. Those types of things. Oh, I agree. As far as the pistols and whatnot, you know, when, from a self-defense point of view, an instructor needs to be looking out for, okay, I have an individual that shows up here. He's going to be using this pistol for self-defense, home defense. Can he see the sights at night? Can, is it something that he can, does it have a fiber optic front sight, which is really for daylight out time? You know, daylight outdoor use, using it in, indoor at night, the sights are, are useless. Does it have other modifications that may or may not make sense? Or is the trigger too light? Um, you got to be looking at it from that point of view and going, hey, this person here may have a gun that would be great as a range toy, but for a primary self-defense weapon for concealed carry or home defense, it's not ideal. So instructors need to be aware of that, need to know what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and be able to guide their students you know, in a specific direction. Remember, you get these guys, a lot of times they go into a gun shop, they're getting whatever the flavor of the day is, or the guy behind the counter is promoting. So they may show up to your class and may have a gun that makes no sense at all, or may need sights switched out or something else that makes the gun more usable for real world self-defense purposes. Do you go along when students come to your class, Larry, do you ask them what they're going to bring ahead of time or do you just uh, have them show up and deal with what they bring? Uh, I just have them show up and deal with what they bring. That being the case, I, I, I try to point them to my FAQ on my website and it kind of has some outlines on there, you know, an outline and some guidelines, a holster to, to bring, holsters to avoid, a number of magazines, just some things along those lines so they can use that as a guideline. And by and large, people show up with stuff Rarely do I get anybody showing up with something that's way out in left field. It Some of it's a self-correcting problem because my classes aren't inexpensive. You know, I'll travel to somewhere like this weekend. I'm going to Pennsylvania to teach a two-day carbine and pistol. It's not a cheap class. So that kind of sorts out a lot of people. And like, hey, I'm going to pay that price to show up to that class as well as travel expenses. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting the most I can out of it. I'm, I'm you know pay attention to what I need to be bringing, the ammo I need to bring, the guns. So I don't get a lot of people out in left field in terms of the guns and gear they bring. Everybody does to a degree, but in my case, fortunately, a lot of that's kind of self-correcting. Yeah, I could see some of the you know, concealed carry classes. I see people bring a variety of things, even with the advanced concealed carry classes, uh, you know, try to educate people over not having the soft sided nylon type of holsters, uh, going, going along and, you know, making sure they've got a sturdy belt, all those types of things. What have you seen when it comes to holsters? I mean, we all know that Kydex is king right now. Leather is, uh, you know, trying to hold on, but have you seen the same thing in your classes? Yeah, absolutely. You see a guy who's a serious enthusiast, oftentimes a 1911 guy using a leather holster. But if it's somebody other than that, it's almost always Kydex of some kind. Still see Serpas on occasion. I 
I banned those quite a while back, like most people did. But um, what I do is if somebody shows up with a SERPA, and if it's a law enforcement officer or you know military and it's their duty rig, I let them use it. But if it's a private individual, I deactivate the, the, the lever, the button. So now it's just an open top holster. Um, but yeah, Kydex dominates by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of varieties out there and, um, I see a lot of Kydex also, and it's, it's amazing to me how many different manufacturers are out there, because it seems like anybody who's got a little toaster oven is, uh, you know, melting Kydex and making quote unquote gun holsters, which there again, you've got to make sure you've got a quality holster because if you're in a hand to hand close quarter, something else like that, somebody somebody grabs for your guns you sure as heck don't want your holster to be uh popping apart in 10 different pieces yep that's that's for sure well larry uh we really appreciate your insight on all that um where can people find more information about you and your company well first and foremost my website vickerstactical.com uh and also aztec training services.com because most of my classes are hosted through aztec but the Number one place to find out about me, my training, the products I offer, everything else I've got going on, the companies I'm affiliated with is VickersTactical.com. Very nice. Very nice. Well, that about wraps things up today. If you enjoyed today's show, we have a few important requests to make. First, visit our sponsor, Firearms Trainers Association and FTAProtect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use the promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts at. If you have any input, questions, feedback, please email me at FTP at concealedcarry.com or leave us ratings on Google Play or iTunes. If you send us an email, I will make sure you get an answer back uh, to the best of our ability. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, like us, share us on your uh, social media feed. And last but not least, tell our instructors about our podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting topics we have covered over the first five episodes. Uh, today's episode is uh, very informative. Make sure everybody's on the same page about what your students can be showing up in class with. And remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Until next time, stay safe.